Elephant in the Room is an anarchist radio show from Dresden, Europe, where we talk with activists from all around the world about politics, life and universe. Airing every second and fourth Monday of the month on Color Radio. You can find the podcast version of the show on the Channel Zero Network or on your favorite podcast platform. From activists for activists. Hello here by Elephant in the Room. We want to talk today about another aspect of the war in Ukraine. And uh, you all know the war is already going on for over eight months. And we could hear a lot about war crimes, atrocities committed by Russian soldiers, thousands of people fleeing the country or fleeing inside the country. And yeah, an ongoing continuous fight where we don't see when and where it will end. But there are always more vulnerable parts of the society which can, for example, not flee because maybe they don't have the money or they are sick or they are not capable. And there is another group inside of our society which people mostly, even in peacetimes, don't pay so much attention. And this is the people who are imprisoned. And today I have a guest here. I want to talk with Masha from ABC Belarus because she wrote an article on the situation of prisoners uh, kept in uh, closed facilities in Ukraine and what is going on with the situation of them during the war. Hey, Masha. Hey, hey. Uh, I just wanted to uh, make a, short, a small correction about the article because the article is uh, generally treating the topic of uh, prison and war and uh, it's not only talking about the prisons in in ukraine but also like in russia so i tried to, to kind of make a like a bigger picture of what actually happens in uh, in the in the prisons of two warring countries while one is uh, partly under occupation so this is a different uh, side of the problem right What, uh, and the other one is actually uh, as i would probably explain today extensively trying to uh, engage uh, its prisoner population uh, into war like mm -hmm. as a as an armed um, force yeah yeah good point um thanks I have a first question because I wonder, or maybe also our listeners wonder, how did you approach the topic? Where would you get even information about this topic? I imagine it's not really easy, actually, because people usually don't share information or numbers about um, such a topic. Yeah, you're you're right. Uh, I think um, I started first with uh, like just getting some news on uh, on Telegram, and some reports about what happens to the Russian prisons uh, prisoners because this is where, like, I, I mostly speak Russian, so I'm getting more Russian information. And then I thought, like, I started wondering, okay, so what what about the other side, right? And uh, I understand Ukrainian, so I was able to like uh, look and search and and uh, read some things. Yeah, and I also had uh, myself an experience of um, being a partner of a person who was in prison in uh, in Belarus. So I, I remember back then we had like a lot of chats on uh, on like Viber, on Facebook. So so it's like relatives of prisoners must have some communities, right? And I was trying to look for those because this is where exactly you receive like firsthand information. It's not like coming from the state. It's not coming from the NGOs or something like that. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to find anything like that on, on Telegram or, or so maybe I'm, I'm not like not good uh, at, at looking for them. And I'm sure there is uh, because I was always thinking like what happens if you're in jail and then 
somebody or like your relative has to flee. So you like completely because prisoners are completely dependent on their families on the outside. So that was something I wanted to 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 check and actually I wasn't able to find as much information. So my sources were mostly like just uh, researching on the internet, trying to catch uh, in Russian, Ukrainian and in, in English sometimes because some of the articles were in English because some of the Ukrainian NGOs actually tried to report because there was like a, a website, Prisoner Insi Prison Insider or something like that. And there were like a few articles about that e even before the war. Uh, one article and then uh, some articles inside into the war. And um, so unfortunately, this is just these two sources, either state sources that claim that they have evacu evacuated someone or that they actually are providing all the services and stuff like that. But I mean, as an anarchist, I don't trust states. So I was mostly relying on the NGO information, hoping that they would provide probably better view on of the inside and what actually struck me is that there was an article of by one uh, ukrainian ngo that look that looked like it was actually dealing a lot with the topic of uh, incarceration penitentiary and correctional institutions in general before the war and actually they were the ones who made like a public appeal to the ministry of justice to before the war to actually evacuate as many prisoners as possible from the territories that bordering Russia and like do all kinds of other preparations and stuff to secure the prisoners lives and health and uh, I was like looking at their Facebook page after and trying to find, OK, what what were they doing later? Like, how did they react? And I and I realized that for a while, like their Facebook page was like not active, like was silent. Uh, and then they just changed the topic to like, I don't know, uh, su supporting, I don't know, private uh, information protection or something like that. So it's like personal data protection. So they like changed the topic completely. And I was like interested if this is if this was something that I don't know, an NGO just got another grant for another project, or is it something that now you can't actually criticize this part of the story, right? So you choose some other kind of direction for you to be active at uh, as an NGO and like you stop completely like criticizing the Minister of Justice and the, their treatment of prisoners. So that was interesting. Interesting yeah. question, actually. And you already mentioned that in this complaint, they were talking about that the prisons should maybe evacuated. And so let's actually go into that. How is the situation of prisoners inside of Ukraine? Is there a kind of usual plan or procedure of evacuation during war times? And if there is such thing, was it applied to the Ukrainian prisoners or not? Right. So again, the problem was that the state claimed that they have all the procedures in place and they are like preparing. Right. But the, when the war started and in one day, in one, two, three days, a lot of Ukrainian territories were act like actually occupied in a in a snap. So uh, it was clear that they were not expecting that they were not preparing. So uh, everything I found about the evacuation was basically done, I don't know, early March, like three weeks inside the war. And they actually claimed that in May, they, were, they provided a figure that uh, 3,000 people remain under the occupation at the moment, and they have evacuated 4,500. So... And uh, just for you to understand that uh, for the moment in uh, Ukraine, there's like 50,000 prisoners. 
that were reported at the end of uh, last year. So it looks like they kind of couldn't really evacuate or take care of the other prisoners. And yeah, the problem with this kind of occupied territories is the fact that there's sometimes not even uh, enough information on uh, what is going on in the cities because many cities are, they don't have the power, they don't have water, they don't have electricity, anything, including the internet. So for, for, many, for many people, I expect their relatives are like just gone. For, for several m months and you don't know what's happening inside those prisons. And uh, yeah, like for, for the evacuation, what also is uh, important is that there have been actually uh, reports. And uh, just today, I just read another report by another NGO that was actually claiming like making a, like a very long report on how people were treated on this evacuation uh, rounds. And basically, uh, it appears that while, it, while during the evacuation, the convoy, like the guards were like actually like beating them on their arrival. So it looked like the new prison was like kind of making them a welcoming beating round. I don't know. I assume just because they wanted to, to show them that here is a your new place and you don't have to like, I don't know, make a fuss here or create problems for us. So they were like intimidating immediately. But it looks like the NGOs uh, and uh, like local and relatives uh, got to know about these stories and these stories actually publicized. So, but, but the problem was that uh, many people filed complaints, uh, many relatives filed complaints, but for now, no, no criminal cases started against like uh, all these guards and they are not fired. Like there, there was no consequences for them. So it's like, okay, even in, in uh, the peaceful times, they usually don't do anything about cases like that. So probably in the war times, they always have uh, an excuse for not engaging into this, things like that. Sounds fucked up. And you have any idea, because you already said that really fast Ukrainian territories were occupied by Russia or by Russian soldiers. Do we know anything about what happened to the prisons that, or are there a lot of prisons actually, which fell under occupation right now? Yeah, so uh, it looks like they reported something like 40 facilities, but we have to understand that it's a completely different facilities. It could be like pretrial detention center, right? Or it could be like small correctional facilities, like kind of labor camps or something like that. Uh, it could be also like psychological institutions for, for the convicts or something. So like we, we don't know exactly because they don't want to report it in, in the way that uh, they don't like count or publicize people. But uh, for sure, as I looked at the map of uh, correctional institutions in Ukraine, uh, we can see that a lot of them are actually situated in the east. So it's like actually prevalent in the east. And we can see that in uh, Lugansk, in Donetsk, in uh, Kherson. So that's where many, many uh, in Mariupol, for example, there was a big pretrial facility in Kherson. There was a few uh, correctional camps and stuff like that. So it was... Uh, The problem with them was also that uh, it different occupation forces reacted differently to the prisons. Some actually wanted to harass and enter the prisons and harassed uh, both the guards and the prisoners, while others actually wanted to rely on the local guards because they... Because, you know, like taking care of the prison is just another problem for you if you're like occupying a town, right? So you prefer, I don't know, a Ukrainian guard to continue going to work 
and uh, continue taking care of them because you need to feed them, you need to guard them, you need to like make sure they don't run away. So this is uh, something that for a few months, at least in Kherson, for example, people were like Ukrainian soldiers, uh, guards were like going to work and still working until they lost uh, connection to their superiors in Kiev or like whatever this uh, Minister of Justice is situated. So basically in, ma in, many, col in many colonies like that, in many pretrial detention centers, they were like actually still working and uh, they were reporting that sometimes the guards were killed by the Russians, sometimes a few prisoners were killed, sometimes bombings, uh, for example, that happened in, um, on the border or bombings oh, that, I don't know, like happened in the city, but also like struck a little bit the detention centers. And uh, some of the detention centers were a, a little bit ruined. Uh, some of the walls were a bit ruined. And then a few people ran away. Even in other situations, uh, a few prisoners were wounded or killed. So it wasn't like a massive, uh, for, until now they haven't been like reported that uh, a whole uh, facility has been like destroyed or a bunch of people died. But still we see that while, I don't know, the officials are trying to evacuate many civilians, right? Like we see a big group of civilians who can't actually evacuate by themselves or <laughs> they they don't uh, they don't evacuate them by them uh, like the authorities do not do it and uh, which is weird because uh, again like uh, going back to this map of uh, the facilities in Ukraine we can see that a bunch of them actually are uh, conserved right so they're like uh, empty for now for some years for example because there have been a decrease in the number of prisoners recently and some of them were like actually closed and uh, it's so easy to just start using them. I mean, it looks easy to start using them instead of keeping people in the front lines. But that wasn't wasn't done. And uh, I think some of them are now used for the prisoners of war, which is a totally different uh, kind of population. So this is like Russian prisoners of war that are now held in this uh, previously empty facilities. Okay, thanks. So maybe before we get deeper into... Uh... Uh, Ukrainian prisoners, you also wrote about that there are people imprisoned in Russia and as well um, Ukrainian citizens. Can you give us a short view on that? Like, what? why do we have um, Ukrainian prisoners right now in a bigger amount in uh, Russia? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, as you might know, in uh, usually in even in peaceful times, people get I don't know, people do kind of crimes in the state and then the state arrests them. And uh, sometimes if it's a, a minor offense, you are getting deported to your country, right? And if you, if and sometimes you like run away, for example, from Ukraine and you hide in Russia and you are getting detained and Ukraine is kind of asking Russia to extradite someone. So, so this is how Ukrainian citizens get in jail and stay in Russia. Basically, there is a bunch of people who stay in pretrial uh, detention, waiting for extradition, because they were asked to do so by the Ukraine. But after the war, it's not possible because there's no border, there is no procedure that could be made like that. So the two countries on a diplomatic or official level have stopped to cooperate. So basically these people are stuck in the limbo and uh, they are not prosecuted in Russia, but they're also not extradited in Ukraine. They're just there. And the other part of uh, the people 
are those who either were detained just because they are Ukrainians and just because they, for example, have no registration in Russia, have some legal problems, some minor offenses that are not like really crimes, but uh, the Russian authorities are putting them in like really temporary detention centers, like for migrants, let's say. And uh, there you don't have a, a deadline for that, right? So you just sit there because you otherwise you would be deported the next week, but you can't be deported now because there's no no border between like no working border between Russia and Ukraine. And so many people have spent there like, I don't know, eight months for now. And a few local NGOs that are trying to take care of these people and like trying to like appeal their like illegal detention, they have pushed uh, some of uh, some of the judges to actually release these kind of migrants that, that kind of just say that they're going to self-deport. So they're going to leave uh, Russia by themselves uh, instead of just sitting there. And uh, actually their conditions are the, the worst because they are not allowed any visits. They don't have any relatives to to could bring them food, who could bring them warm clothes, who could write them uh, letters and actually letters, calls, anything is not allowed so you just sit there like you you don't have books you don't have a library like you don't have any so because this is a very temporary detention center like there's no uh no infrastructure there for long-term detention and there's like a small group of people who are actually helping them as far as i understood in in russia and like trying to provide them with all this uh things and sometimes making like small fundraisers for specific people who, for example, also need medical care, right? Because these people are not provided with a proper medical care because they're no one like they're like not in an, in any legal uh, condition for, for receiving long term, for example, I don't know, anti-cancer treatment or something like that. So this is another problem. Yeah, it's crazy how those situations appear. Nobody thought about, um, especially not the people who are in that right now. What is interesting, I think, and we all wonder is that usually prisoners are anyway, also in peacetimes, kind of a workforce. So usually they have to produce something in prison. And I imagine that under war times, they are even more valuable in the sense that every workforce in war is needed. So can you tell us a little bit about this question like are prisoners used right now for which work in in ukraine and in russia uh yeah actually about russia it's a good question because uh i know that at least among the women's uh facilities right uh, usually they are they have uh, textile production so they're like sewing uh also uniform for cops many times or just kind of special uniforms for 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 different people and i imagine that now they might like that also i don't know sue uniform for the russian soldiers especially now when they have this uh, kind of uh, mobilization announced but i haven't read about anything about that actually as for the ukrainians yes uh, there have been reports about the fact that uh, many ukrainian prisoners are actually getting more kind of patriotic, uh, let's say, or that they are like very eager to help in any way. At least this is how, how the report uh, is saying that, right? So 
like just to say that some of the prisoners uh, volunteer to go to to fight, for example, among I think that's happens mostly uh, among the male. But the others who can't are actually doing uh, many other things, like again sewing the uniforms or producing like this kind of badges. For, for the soldiers. Also, they said that because in the Ukrainian prisons for now, they are allowing them like to have uh, internet or allowing them to have like personal tablets in some facilities. So what they're doing is that basically they are like kind of in an organized manner. From what I understood, they are uh, trying to fight Russian propaganda online. So that means that they are like uh, either leaving comments on uh, uh, under some Russian news or trying to engage into conversation with Russians in the chat, or even sometimes calling uh, Russians on like just calling Russian phones and like talking to Russians, trying to kind of uh, persuade them into not supporting the war or like. So, some kind of trying to combat the propaganda. I don't know if this is just uh, a myth or like this is this report to just make uh, prisoners look kind of nicer and like more uh, active uh, or is it actually happening until now? But uh, yeah, I can imagine <laughs> the authorities uh, like just uh, just use them for, for things like that. And I, I can imagine also some people would would be interested in doing that for sure, because uh, I don't know, you're sitting in jail, it's really boring. And sat at some point you're like, you can feel that you're useful, right? But also if we speak about Ukrainian prisoners in the occupied territories, uh, so it was reported that uh, they are usually taken out of prisons and uh, made to dig trenches for the Russian soldiers or like to participate in uh, like protests to pretend they're like a mass attendance and stuff like that. So usually they're used for like physical force to, I don't know, to provide the Russian soldiers with something that they just don't want to do themselves. And um, there was also some rumors or reports about uh, Russians like looking for kind of dissident, I don't know, or anti-Ukrainian prisoners, uh, let's say, who would be eager to kind of join the Russian uh, propaganda or Russian occupation and like uh, collaborate on different uh, issues. Also trying to influence the other prisoners uh, inside the prison or like to produce uh, some kind of propaganda among the prisoners, I think they would be probably interested in that to just have a very obedient and very kind of trusted, let's say, prison population in the places where they are, uh, instead of having someone who's like seeing them as an enemy. Yeah, I think it's it's horrible actually to see how prisoners are kind of a victim of this kind of power games and I mean, you anyway always kind of already lost um, in prison and kind of subjected to this kind of power struggles. But I think I imagine now it's even more crazy, especially when you said then you were on the occupied territory. In worst case, you have to support the army, which is right now actually attacking your country. I was wondering, because you also wrote about the Donbass region. So, I mean, we all know the war is already since 2014 in place. And there is already a situation with um, prisons or prisoners uh, in this region. I think you wrote that there's kind of a not clear situation in the sense that there are actually no really laws which apply to prisoners or how, let's say, usually the state is regulating um, uh, such situations. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, so basically, when we say Donbass, that means that this area that have been uh, occupied since uh, 2014, right? So that's part of Lugansk and part of uh, Donetsk uh, region. So, and and this has been under occupation for eight mo- eight years now. So. I can imagine that life there is like completely different from, from of course, from Ukraine and from Russia, because this is like also a very uh, easy zone to kind of experiment on different uh, rights violations and how people would react to that and how you can suppress anyone who who doesn't like uh, what what's what's going on. And especially if you are such a marginalized and deprived of any rights group as prisoners. So as in any country, basically, when you have a, a, a trial, right? So you're just after that, you're sent to serve your sentence somewhere. So it doesn't mean that you live in Donetsk or Lugansk. Uh, you could live, I don't know, in Lviv and then be sent to serve in Donetsk and suddenly you get under the, the occupation and basically of course uh, prisoners still stay in this in these prisons and they all have the the deadline like right the when the time is done but there have been reports that many many prisoners actually stay longer than uh, than these sentences because either they are not I don't know, trustworthy enough or they just want to use them as uh, as an easy and uh, very I don't know, not even cheap, but free labor, because they have been reported, uh, like, actually, 15,000 people uh, remained there uh, after the occupation. I don't know how much the the number is now, but uh, previously, that was this number. And only less than 400 prisoners from this territory were handed over back to Ukraine, because I think Ukraine tried to, I don't know, negotiate exchange or something like that, or that these people want to be returned to and uh, still uh, not released, but uh, just be prisoners in the Ukrainian territory. And so you can imagine it's like, I don't know how many percents, like one, two percent of these people uh, ended up in Ukraine. And basically what uh, they, some of them were reporting after some people were released, that's how they were like actually working for, for the local government and for the local, uh, even the, just the prisoner population. So it just became like a very, very profitable business because uh, some of the uh, prisoners said that they were like just, you know, like this fraud schemes when somebody calls you and pretends to be, I don't know, a police officer or a medical doctor and saying, okay, like I'm now in the middle of the car crash and your brother is dying or like your brother, uh, I don't know, hit someone and we need money immediately. Otherwise, either he's going to be arrested or he dies or I don't know, we're going to kill him or something like that. And so you call somebody's relatives like that. You pretend you play the scene and the relatives are just eagerly sending you the money just to save allegedly uh, the relative who is in trouble. And this is how it works uh, in uh, in many like post-Soviet countries. So this is a, like a very widespread scheme. So at the moment, this is what is done by the people from the uh, Donbass region who are in prisons. So basically they are calling people, they're playing these games and they are not receiving the money. The money is going to prison administration. So, and I, of course we can understand. So why would they even try to release them if they have just actually slave slaves who could I don't know, commit more crimes, uh, let's say, inside the prison. 
and um, they just go. This just goes unpunished for for, for the prison administration, and. Um, yeah, so so basically, this is a, a big deal. And like, uh, if we speak about the lack of laws or lack of like legal systems, whatever. So it looks like there is a different legal system now in Lugansk and Donetsk, and it's not coinciding with what they had in Ukraine previously. And uh, yeah, also like many people who would be kind of pre-trial detention centers, right? They haven't been sentenced yet, but they have been just spending, I don't know, years uh, just on on awaiting anything that can happen to them. Because, for example, the trial must happen in another city that is an under Russia and under Ukrainian uh, control. And you're sitting in somewhere under Donetsk control, right? So <laughs> that means you're just stuck. Uh, nobody's going to take care about your case. This is not a priority for any state to just start uh, processing prisoners suddenly. So plus all the lawyers, all the NGOs, like they have disappeared. There's no one uh, in, uh, in, Don in Donbass at the moment who is like taking care or reporting about uh, violations or, I don't know, making uh, examination rounds uh, uh, in, in prison facilities. So this is a very kind of dangerous uh, uh, scheme for, for the prisoners, of course, and very profitable and very like easy and convenient uh, scheme for the for the gov for the government and if we speak about that so we we see that this is already happening it's happening like for eight years and uh, we can imagine that this is exactly what's going to happen with people if uh, the occupied territories are not going to be freed at the moment right so if ukraine is not taking back what has been occupied this like the prisoners i was talking about before right in Kherson and mariupol whatever they're gonna just probably be in the same situation and and this is uh, very scary yeah totally yeah, it's really hard to imagine, actually. You wrote in your article specifically not about prisoners of war. Can you say a few sentences about that? Why or what's complicated with that topic? Yeah, I, I think I was just in my head. It was always different kind of, um, I don't know, groups of society, let's say. Because one thing is to be a prisoner without war. And like most people who are in prisons right now uh, have been there without, like without war, like war has not uh, resulted in them being in jail. And um, basically they are treated differently. Um, they don't have any kind of, I don't know, Geneva conventions, whatever that is protecting them against inhumane treatment. The state can do whatever it wants with them, right? And I don't know, most of the people don't care or most of the uh, outside uh, institutions or international communities also don't care. If we speak about the prisoners of war, that is like, I don't know, soldiers. That means like people who used to be civilian suddenly go into war. They just got kidnapped, captured, and then and, and they end up in uh, in a cell. Of course, they are prisoners in this term of like just being deprived of liberty, but they're not prisoners in the term of just, I don't know, being there before the war or they know for sure that they might be exchanged, for example, at some point. So they have not like actually committed a crime as uh, the state would call it, right? So they, of course, they're treated horrible and I'm not saying that they don't deserve attention. It's just in my article, I felt that I would like to actually 
focus on, on prisoners that have been there before the war. And uh, we can see that uh, also, if we speak about the prisoners of war, there's a lot of controversial information also because many of much of this information is coming actually from the states. And basically what I found is that Russia is accusing Ukraine of bad treatment of Russian prisoners of war. Ukraine is con uh, accusing Russia of the same. So that's basically like states are accusing, states are reporting different abuse. And... Uh, you like you can't actually figure it out in a, in a good way let's say what what is uh, what is exactly their treatment and uh, yeah so i just felt it's just different categories for me and different contexts why these people are in jail and what is jail for them and also i don't know they are held there probably together i can imagine for sure they are like exposed to more torture to, to worse conditions. I mean, for me, it felt a little bit different. But yeah, I think they deserve for sure another brochure. <laughs> uh, but but that's uh, already not something I, I will write, for example. Yeah, I think I can, can relate to your um, thoughts on that matter. You want to add something to what we discussed or you think we covered the topic more or less? Yeah, I think if we speak about the Ukrainian um prisoners, right? I think we kind of covered it in depth. But I think also what struck me, like just speaking a little bit about the Russian prisoners, right, who are sent to war, and uh, who actually volunteer to, to go there. And I read a few, a few kind of interviews with them. And they say that, yeah, they basically are not seeing any future for themselves even after they leave the, the prison, right? So even if they stay in prison, if they sit till the end of the, their term, they end up in the street and they don't expect any socialization, any kind of good social adaptation, any, I don't know, empathy from their family or something like that. So it struck me somehow how... On the one hand, states create state creates this kind of crime, right? They, it puts people in jail for for like creating social conditions for the crimes to exist, and then it puts people in jail where they are I don't know deprived of any kind of future for, for themselves, even if they are released later. And then it's so easy to just come and tell these people, okay, you can just go and die there, but you're gonna be like. I don't know, heroes now. Like, instead of being no one, you can be heroes or you can get some money instead of getting nothing while you're suing uniforms for us. And and this is so easy and, and it's just so, like, paradoxic, right? How the state is able to, like, create these people and also then just so easily use them for again protecting the state and it's like a fucking vicious circle so i think this is what um this is what the most sad right so it's not only just uh, them being abandoned or like not evacuated properly or not uh, i don't know or like even beaten while evacuation and uh, and and at the same time using them as this like just material for for the for the either, either for murder or material for like to be murdered yeah so this is i think very sad yeah totally okay yeah thanks a lot i think we see that the topic is really complex and as you just said that prisoners are not only mistreated in every society and um 
There's, it's interesting, actually, your last thought. From one hand, the state is creating a situation where actually these so-called crimes can be committed and then people are imprisoned and then they are humiliated there and used for the interest again. So I think this is the general criticism towards the prison system all around the world and we see how ugly it actually gets during war times. And uh, a lot of relatives and friends have no contacts actually to their loved ones anymore. Prisoners are anyway forgotten and I think during war times this just gets even worse and, and I'm really glad that you actually wrote the article and highlighted the topic for us and, and make it a little bit accessible and And actually uh, speak up for people, like for prisoners, for people in prison to actually make them not forgotten. Thanks for, thanks for asking me yeah. and attracting attention to, to the article and the topic also. Yeah, thanks a lot um, to you for the interview.